Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers. Hook them up. 1019 AM 1260. The Horn. Hook them up. Hour two of our five-hour Wednesday conversation. Appreciate everybody weighing in. A lot of conversation on the uh, message line at 447-3776. It says, is Penix going pro? Of course, yeah. Michael Penix is a 60-year player. Yeah, man. Lawrence, two losses your game against 60-year left-handed starting quarterbacks. <laughs> Dylan Gabriel and Michael Penix. Yeah, and you know what? That's becoming more of a common thing in college football. It is. Those quarterbacks are staying in school for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Right? So it and, happens. And, and the NFL yeah. likes it. The NFL likes the development and the uh, mm-hmm. game started, the reps that come with it. You know, yeah. why risk taking a, you know, Mitch Trubisky or a guy who's only started 15, 20 games in college when you can get a guy who started six years. It's and, up Michael uh, Penix, man. Played at a high level. He's playing his best football. It says, E, if you're going to look at, a, look at a more real picture stats of that game, look at the game, game stats through three quarters, they'll be more revealing. That's true because I remember we were doing the in-game watch and we were looking at the statistics through three quarters and it was heavily dominated by Washington. Yeah. Washington controlled that game. If you were watching, it felt like Washington was in control the entire game. Well, and, and the difference of the game, in my mind, was the third quarter because it was 21 all at the half however we got there texas was getting toasted deep but it was 21 all texas was playing to a stalemate with them third quarter when they you know came out scored went right down the field and then texas turned the ball over on their first offensive play i mean washington dominated the third quarter uh outscored texas 10 nothing and then kicked a field goal very early on in the fourth so 13 points that you could never overcome that and that third quarter performance is really what separated the game. Uh, and it was equal parts Washington being really good on both sides of the ball and Texas being really bad on both sides of the ball yeah. uh, through that. And that's really, the to me, that third quarter. But, you know, to the, to the Texter's point about four quarters, this, this is what you like about Texas. They did fight to the end. They did make it tough on Washington. They did have a chance to steal that game. And that's that competitive spirit that it's going to take to continue to elevate the program. Yep, I totally agree. No, they showed that they like, – I've been saying it all year. they got good football character. Yeah. They really do as a team. Like they, uh, they battle adversity. They, they, they overcome it a lot of times. They didn't overcome it in this game. Uh, and they find ways to win ugly in different ways. It's not always – in this Washington team, you know, they found a lot of different ways to win. But mostly the offense, even though they won a game without scoring a touchdown, it's mostly their, their, their offensive identity is what leads the way for them. For Texas, it's been different – aspects of their team that's led the way in one game's form. Um, and this game, they kind of like, made a play on special teams. Special teams made a big play here and there. Defense made a play. Well, they didn't make a lot of them. <laughs> but they made a few plays here and there. And, yeah, you got yourself back in the game. So I, this, this, the culture is helping you uh, right now because you're, the culture is very competitive. And Texas fights. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to throw out the slogan out there, but they do. This team, actually, they fight to the end every time. I mean, the, the two losses came down to game-winning drives. Yeah. Last, last possession scenarios, uh, those are the only two losses of the season. Like you said, they were two veteran quarterbacks. And, and I don't think it's a coincidence. Those were the two best quarterbacks they played. That's, that's why they're bringing in five uh, DBs in this recruiting class. Uh, they're bringing in Makuba in the transfer portal. They understand. They're looking, at the, they, they're looking at the same team we're looking at. And even though they've constructed the roster really well, what's the last, po- last position of roster construction pretty much they really haven't addressed? DB. DB. DB, DB and, and, and pressure player. Yeah, exactly. Like elite pressure player. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and those two positions, and that, that stood out in the game. And that's why I say when you're playing at the highest levels of college football, which is where the Longhorns want to be playing year by year, exactly. you've got to have those guys, and you've got to be able to play coverage in the back end. And, uh, 
you know, it, it, and they're ahead of schedule, guys. That's why that's why they had didn't have the DBs ready yeah. <laughs> and the, the pass rush. Yeah, that's well said. They are <laughs> they're ahead of schedule, and you know, to the point of you know how how good is Michael Penix? Well, yeah, he's a six year player. People were like, well, what's wrong with Quinn Ewers? He's a second year player. I mean, that's just that's the process, and that's why for when Longhorn fans were you know kind of com- not complaining, they were up and up and angst about. Well, Quinn Ewers is coming back. What's that going to do for Arch Manning? Listen, folks, having going into the SEC with a third-year starting quarterback who's, who's been through this battle now, now got to play in the college football playoff, got to see Michael Penix, you know, that's, that's, that's great for the program. That's great. big time. And to your point, you know, Sark and the staff and PK aren't going to come out and say it. Their actions speak a lot more than what any words they could say. They're trying to address the coverage through recruiting and Andrew Makuba through the transfer portal. That's exactly right. Uh, they're trying to address pressure. Uh, you know, they got pretty good pressure for the Big 12 this year, but most of it was interior pressure. They were better on the edges this year. Yeah. But, you know, Colin Simmons coming in from Duncanville, that Trey was, Moore coming in from UTSA, Ethan was, Burke. Yeah, that was the best O-line in the country, guys. Yeah. So that they didn't hold up against the best O-line in the country. Against Big 12 O-lines? That you, you Dominate. Saw, <laughs> Dominate. It's, it's just that the, the, there are a lot of plays in there where Texas had decent coverage. And in the Big 12 against a Big 12 quarterback, PBU, we're all celebrating. Or maybe even a pick. And, you, and everybody's celebrating and talking about how great the defense is. Well, football's a game of inches. And when you have great players, right, those margins, right, they're very, very thin. And you can see there were plays where Michael Pence just put the ball in the money. And that was decent coverage in the Big 12. That would be great coverage in yeah. this game versus NFL wide receivers, first-round quarterback, potentially a first-round wide receiver, Texas gets beat. And it's, it, I, say it, I don't think it's necessarily more – and the more I watch it, it's less of an indictment on Texas and more of a compliment to what Washington is. Yeah. I mean, they are, they are legit, folks. It's the real deal. That passing game is well, – and, and Michigan's going to have some trouble with it too. Yeah. <laughs> you tip your cap to good teams. And when you get to that point, and the Longhorns hope to be back in here year by year now – it's going to be a challenge. You're going to play good teams. That's just the way that's going to go. Real good teams. And with a good game plan, too, by the way. Yeah, good coaches. We didn't talk about this enough. We talked about Quinn Ewers, right? And they figured out something that a lot of teams in the Big 12 haven't figured out about Quinn Ewers. He, he at times had funky release points, all right, for, for, this, for, for football, especially with RPO throws because he's so relaxed with his RPO throws, and he knows that he's got the golden arm. So he can make, the, he can make almost any RPO throw from any angle. Doesn't even really matter. And a lot of times, it's a low angle. It's a, he's releasing the football at a low angle, sometimes trying to find the windows, or maybe that's just something that within his skill set he needs to work on. Um, and I wonder now if Sarkin will look at maybe let's try to get him a higher release point for some of his RPO throws because Washington figured it out because they batted like four five passes yeah, early but, on in the game. Right, and and that they was- were all mostly on RPO throws. It's like they were like in the lane, like – Looking at his eyes, instead of trying to rush the quarterback, they were deciding, you know what, get your hands up. Well, you can watch enough film in a month to see when they go RPO, where he likes to go with. Mostly it's slant routes, right, and things coming inward, breaking. breaking And so get your hands up. You're not going to get there. And that's good scouting. That's good coaching. And it it is part of why Texas kind of scuffled offensively. Like Those RPOs are typically – 12 play chunks and you know you're getting the thing moving those were knocked down four no times rhythm. no rhythm four times no yeah. rhythm in the offense and the penalties and the penalties yep <laughs> uh yeah the self-inflicted things for texas and then when you finally thought okay third quarter here we go we can get get things uh you know back under control we can run the football then the, then the turnovers start right and uh cj baxter you know puts it on the ground and so yeah that's a young team that's growing up and uh but as you said for washington this is an outlier if they beat michigan they'll be the first team without a five-star player on their roster to win a national championship in the in this modern recruiting modern recruiting era 
this is not, at least coming out of high school kind of thing, the most talented roster. That belonged no. to Alabama. They have uh, a less than a 50% blue chip ratio. That's uh, the amount of four- and five-star recruits on their roster. This is, this is about talent development. Yeah. Uh, this, this is about talent development. This is about culture. This is about character. Uh, there's something special with Washington. They believe they're a team of destiny in that regard. Well, and, and two of the higher-rated players on their team are Roma Dunze and uh, Braylon Trice. I mean, those guys were four-star players coming out of high school. They don't get a ton of those guys. They don't. Uh, Dunze's out of uh, Las Vegas, uh, Bishop Gorman. You're right. And uh, Trice is out of Phoenix. And they're going to end up being first-round picks. Yep. So there you go, if you would. <laughs> so developing essentially four-star players into five-star performers. And then Michael Penix, you know, coming with the coach from Indiana – you can't underestimate how important that is for him to be that comfortable in that system. For I mean, how many reps? I mean, gosh, he's he's dropped back over sixteen hundred times. Well, the faith the for Kalen DeBoer, you know, to have in Michael Penix. I mean, Michael Penix. The reason Indiana gave up on him because he kept getting hurt. He yeah. he was winning the starting job every year. He'd win the starting job, and then he'd go out there, and then he'd end up getting hurt, or you know, the AC. I think he had two ACL injuries. He had another injury there. So they. As an, as an institution, as a program, decided, hey, man, we got to move on. We can't keep reinvesting in Michael Penix. He's keep getting hurt. And Kalen DeBoer, who, who was there coaching them early on and had moved on to Fresno State and then had moved on, obviously, to Washington, he figured, man, he's, he's got all the skill. Um, and I think he'll get past the injury uh, issue that he's dealing with and the bad injury luck. And he did. And that's a lot of faith in Kalen DeBoer because Kalen DeBoer hitched his wagon. To Michael Penix. Well, and think about the thrower that we've seen him become, the elite passer of the football that he is, the throws that he made, the dimes that he dropped on oh, Monday night. Woo. Yeah. Well, he came out of high school as a track guy out of Tampa. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a track guy, so uh-huh. he was an athlete before he was a passer. He's developed into a passer. Yeah. And now that he's healthy, you saw his legs a little bit in that mm-hmm. game on Monday night. So, uh, yeah, tip your cap to a good good opponent. And, uh, and then that's why, as we've said, it, it's frustrating because it, all the mistakes and some of the play calling issues and the, the fumbles and the penalties and all that stuff, you still had four plays from the 12-yard line to try to win this game, which is still pretty incredible. And that's why it's frustrating, but you've got to build on the positives as a program. And I think Texas is doing that through their talent acquisition and you know the players they're bringing in. Because we just said it. I mean, it, it was – there's no doubt that defensive back was a priority in this draft in this recruiting class. Yep. Kobe Black, five star mm-hmm. from from Waco. And I like I know a lot of you don't keep up with recruiting like like it's just you watch the games. That's why we'll tell you in in post. Yes, they five star corner from Waco, five star mm-hmm. safety from McKinney. Yep. Xavier Filsimi. They know uh, who you really like. He kind of is a Derek Williams kind of clone. Uh, they also in the portal attack Trey Moore, who is the leading sack artist in the portal. Yep. 14 and a half sacks at UTSA this past year. He'll be coming in and Colin Simmons. Simmons. And as we say, I mean, you're talking about another year with Ethan Burke to develop and get better. Mm -hmm. Uh, Baron Sorrell. Baron Sorrell comes back. Also, you know, Colton Vosick, who played with Ethan Burke at Westlake. He's a guy who redshirted this year. He should be a developmental pass rusher. Most of your corners come back. So Most of your corners, yeah. Manny Muhammad, <laughs> Terrence Brooks. Defense took a huge step this year. You know, yeah. top five in situ- a lot of crucial situational defense, like third down and red zone. No, it's the, the future looks bright, but there's no doubt. That, like I said, the coaching staff, through talent acquisition, uh, they understand what their weaknesses are on the roster, and that they're addressing them. But – uh, you know, for the immediate, they're bringing in guys via the transfer portal, and they're recruiting things that they cannot coach and develop. And you can't coach coverage, and you cannot coach pressure. Uh, some guys are just natural pass rushers. It's an eight. Guys are natural coverage specialists. All these young DBs they're recruiting, even Sark said it, they can cover. That's the one thing they all got in, cover, in common, whether position they play, nickel or safety or corner, they can cover. And I think that's what they're recruiting. You got some good players in that secondary. Ryan Watts is a good player. He's just not a coverage specialist. 
There's a difference. I wasn't, listen, I always say it all the time. I was not a great football player. I was a coverage specialist. I had a skill and a trait that I had refined and cultivated uh, from years of being a young kid watching Eric Allen and Daryl Green and Deion Sanders. All I did was watch the cornerback position as a young guy and learn it and study it. So I was really good at coverage. As an overall football player, you guys watch. Then hands weren't great, hand eye coordination, not great, but I could cover really well and man to man coverage. And that's the reason that I started over the Fort Acres for multiple years. It's the reason the NFL teams kept giving me a shot, even though I dealt with my own injuries and ended up being just a jabroni and a jag. You you gotta recruit that. That is natural. And I think Texas now figures out has figured out we gotta just recruit players that can cover and we'll teach them open field tackling. We'll teach them leverage. We'll teach them taking on blocks with the right shoulder. With the football classroom, we can teach that because we're great well, teachers. And let's be, let's be fair to you. Nobody a, teaches coverage. No, it's a great point, and you've made it throughout the recruiting process, too. And as you said, no one teaches pass rush. You're kind of a, a natural. You can get yeah. better at it, but you're kind of a natural pass rusher if you're yeah. not. Look at Anthony Hill. He's like their yeah, best it, pass rusher. Let me freshman. think. You know, speed. You can't coach <laughs> speed. You can't coach vision for a running back, right? Balance for a running back. <laughs> Those kind of things are just natural. And that's what you're looking for on the recruiting trail are traits, and you develop the rest, and I think the Longhorns are headed in that direction. Um, then this says uh, uh, Phoenix was lighting up Ohio State and Michigan as a sophomore. I remember that one. Yeah. He was. He was. <laughs> He's a real uh, deal, man. And then he got hurt. I mean, Tom Allen was the coach there. Mm-hmm. When Michael Penix left, Indiana's program collapsed. <laughs> yeah, and everybody was talking about the buzz around Indiana. Yeah. It's like, oh, ain't no buzz no more. Why? Penix is gone. Well, because Kalen DeBoer <laughs> and uh, Michael Penix left, yeah. and now Tom Allen – is defensive coordinator at Penn State, replacing Manny Diaz. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, he's a real good player, and I think the NFL is going to find that out when he gets there as well. All right, so appreciate all the messages coming in. Let's get to the quick headlines, and then we'll get to Rod B. Uh, with a rant, the first of two on this Wednesday morning. Headlines uh, presented, uh, top stories by Top Gun Rentals and Lawn Equipment in their brand-new location. We'll tell you about that coming up. Start with college football a day after the season came to an end with that really tough loss in the CFP semifinal in New Orleans. The Texas Longhorns are now officially also lost their junior wide receiver, Xavier Worthy. Speedster announced yesterday on social media he's headed to the NFL. Draft process begins for him. He's a potential first-round selection. Worthy becomes the Longhorns' first star to declare that intention, but certainly won't be the last. The deadline to declare is January 15th. Also yesterday, Georgia's All-American tight end Brock Bowers declared for the draft. TV ratings in for those semifinal games on New Year's Day and night. Safe to say a big hit with the audience. Uh, audience for the Michigan-Alabama game match uh, matchup in the Rose Bowl. Peaked at nearly 33 million viewers. According to ESPN, that makes it the highest uh, rated CFP semifinal ever. Uh, Granddaddy of them all was a big one. It was, uh, how about this, the uh, most viewed non-NFL sporting event in five years on ESPN and a top 10 cable telecast of all time. Sugar Bowl, because of its 8.45 Eastern time start, not as big a rating, but still did very well. Nearly 20 million with a total audience. Peaked at 24.5 million. On the whole, the CFP semifinals were the most watched in six years. Now on to the national championship game on Monday night in Houston. Matchup of one versus two. Both Michigan and Washington, 14-0 conference champions. They'll play at NRG Stadium. Good news for Washington. Washington yesterday on a radio interview, Huskies offense, according to Ryan Grubb, confirmed that their starting running back, Dylan Johnson, is expected to play Monday night in Houston. Of course, he got hurt on that final drive offensively for Washington. Uh, NFL official word now that the league has fined Carolina Panthers owner Dave Tepper $300,000 for what they quote his, or called his unacceptable conduct during his team's 26-0 loss at Jacksonville on Week 17. If you missed it, video shows Tepper throwing the contents of his cup of well, liquid into the crowd in Jacksonville. Uh, responding to hecklers before the uh, he stormed off. He's been fine big time. NFL final week of the regular season kicks off on Saturday. No Thursday night game this week. Doubleheader on Saturday. Steelers-Ravens in the early game. Then in primetime, Houston. The Texans will be in Indianapolis to play the Colts. 
which is what is essentially a, a the first AFC playoff game. Both teams nine and seven. Winner will advance into the tournament. Loser is out. Cowboys, meanwhile, in our nation's capital Sunday to wrap up their regular season against the Commanders. Thanks to that nail-biter win over Detroit on Saturday, combined with the Eagles' loss to Arizona on Sunday. The Cowboys win in Week 18, and they will be the conference of the division champions and the two-seed in the NFC. Horn Headlines brought to you by Top Gun Rentals and Lawn Equipment. A new year and a new store. Come see our new beauty location at 200 Trademark Drive to rent, buy, or repair any construction and lawn equipment you need. TopGun.net. We'll shoot you straight. It's pretty amazing the Cowboys <clears throat> have a chance to win that division now. I just wouldn't have thought that was going to happen. And it was shocking. And I, I, I feel a little bit, not out of sorts, but uh, I watched that Cowboys game from the mm-hmm. casino. Harris Casino. I wasn't gambling run, but I was with a group and you really couldn't hear it. Uh, But man, they were so fortunate. Uh, There's conflicting reports on did the officials get it right or get it wrong on the Taylor Decker report or whatnot. Mm. And now there's the whole and we'll get into this coming up later in the show with Dan Campbell. You know, should he have kept going for it? Well, remember, you had the the penalty on did they report or not when Taylor Decker caught the two point conversion to win the game, essentially. So that backed it up. Then Micah Parsons jumped off sides. That backed it up again. And that moved it back forward. Yeah. But he kept going for it. And at some point you're thinking, just Wait, kick the extra was point. Was it three times he went for it? Yeah. And then one of them was like from like the seven, right? Because they yeah. backed him up. Yeah. He was one. just a madman. Seven-yard line. He's a madman. Come on, Dan. Come on. You, at that point you should have been like, all right. That's, that's just well, I mean, this is, you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's great for that. I mean, that, they just won a division for the first time in 30 years. No, he's great. He's a good guy. And But so, yeah, but there's also that side that – he had determined they were going for two regardless when they got the ball back. He, he t- Troy Aikman kept saying, he was like, he told me this week when in this situation they're going to go for two. And that's fine, but once the circumstances change, we talk about this with Sark all the time. This is, and and it, great coaches, they're still humans, right? So they still have their traits. Um, and there's obviously the, the gift and the curse, right? The good and the bad that come with that. Sark's offenses are spectacular because he does have a – he has an affinity for – you know, the, the passing game, and he, he loves to open up with the pass and throw the football. And in that game, they gave him the running game, and Sark early on decided, nah, I still want to throw it. Uh, I Mike, got a game plan Mike, I, got, I got a script. I got a script. It's 40 damn plays, and I'm going to use it. I'm not going to pivot away from it. I'm not going to deter. I'm not going to detour from the script. We're going to stay on the script. And I, that was, I think, a, a little bit of a miscalculation because he didn't know the third quarter was going to end up with five damn plays. And I think if he didn't know it, he'd be like, damn, I probably should have run it more yeah. in that second quarter. Well, and you then can't play games in hindsight. Field. I mean, every coach, every yeah, fan right? does. It was, a yeah. mis- it was a miscalculation. My point is, same thing with Dan Campbell. He's got the, those same tendencies. It's a gift and a curse. It's, the gift is he's really aggressive. He's the most aggressive coach in the NFL, and they go for it, what, over 50% of the time when they're past midfield? They're going for it half the damn time. We know that. But it blows up in your face when he basically – that anger and rage that he has as a player coach – uh, bites him when he has a chance to make a calculated decision in that moment because things have changed, circumstances have changed, and yet he didn't. He was like, no, 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 I'm going with it. I'm, I'm doubling well, down. Plus, he looks like the Hulk, so it's like, hey, because somebody walks, needs to walk up to him and say, Coach, that was, we, we, that, we have a play for a two-point conversion from the two-and-a-half. Yeah. We don't have a play from the seven. That was a rage decision. <laughs> he, he was like, he was making decisions out of rage. Well, wait till you hear him. I'll, I'll play this for you coming yeah. up. Then and I get it. He's fired up. But that, that's a huge loss. I mean, because that, that, that game, they're both 11-5 and five now. Mm-hmm. And the Cowboys own the tiebreaker. So that makes them the two seed over Detroit. Uh, to Detroit still could have been in the mix with the, for the one seed had that uh, two-point conversion been counted. That's how big that call was. Huge, man. And there's a lot of folks who believe that the officials messed that up, and it's, it's uh, uh, a major 
you know, defeat for the officiating crew because uh, Taylor Decker did walk over and mm-hmm. say something to him. It That's on like video. It. It, seems like it. it seems like it. And they'd been setting that up the whole game, mm-hmm. and then it got called. He didn't report. So, yes, uh, what, a, what a finish. And uh, unfortunately, because I like to be able to hear, you know, hear the broadcast and hear what they're saying, I, didn't, I couldn't because we were at the casino, and that's just being in New Orleans. Uh, but we'll go back and, uh, and pick that up. But right now, let's get Rod's rant. First of two this morning, you will hear from Dan Campbell coming up. We'll talk Cowboys and Commanders. And obviously, we're talking all things Longhorns. Let's get it. Rod's rant of the day is brought to you by Apple Leasing, the easiest and safest way to get a new car, any make, any model. Click AppleLeasing.com and experience how easy it is. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, you've got it now. It's time for Rod's rant of the day. Hold on to your butts. All right, this is actually uh, kind of a random rant. I went down a rabbit hole late last week because I saw a factoid. We were talking about the Cleveland Browns and how impressive it was what the Browns were doing uh, with a fourth fourth starting quarterback on the season. Joe Flacco's having an unbelievable year. They found this guy on the couch, and they needed a quarterback, and now Joe Flacco could be in the conversation for a comeback player of the year, even though he's only played with four games uh, with the Cleveland Browns. So it's a great story. And it got me thinking, like, how – and they, and they, they clinched a the playoff spot. So that got me thinking how many teams have actually been able to uh, clinch a playoff spot with their fourth starting quarterback. <laughs> That's what I was thinking about. I was like, man, this just doesn't happen. All right? just, you just don't see that very often. And uh, basically, <clears throat> I started going down the rabbit hole about – Essentially, teams who've been able to make the playoffs, because, and I think Kevin Stefanski, because of the the four <clears throat> four starting quarterbacks, excuse me, that they've had, uh, which, like I said, it's remarkable they've been able to clinch a playoff spot and win double digit games with that. Uh, but also, twenty six percent of their salary cap is on injured reserve. I brought I brought that little factoid up last week, so it is remarkable what what Cleveland has done. But I started thinking how many teams have been able to make the playoffs, clinch a playoff spot with multiple starting quarterbacks to that extent. So went down the rabbit hole and, and found a couple of uh, uh, factoids, and, and then it took me like an hour or so. But I found this list of a basic list of teams and coaches, too. I think that's the priority I want to get to, who have been able to make the playoffs in the Super Bowl era with four or more starting quarterbacks. And it ain't a long list. And this won't Kevin, take long. <laughs> Kevin Stefanski. It's longer than I thought, actually. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I thought this research would take me, you know, a few minutes and end up taking me, you know, close to an hour, a little bit longer. So this is in the Super Bowl era. Uh, teams, coaches that have been able to make the playoffs with four or more different starting quarterbacks. Started in 1984. The first to do it, Ditka, Mike Ditka. Uh, they were 10-6 and six that year. Ended up making uh, the playoffs, and they were they won the division. They were first in the division. Oh, yeah. hell, well, you do and that. The, the, the parallel to the to the Browns, they 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 had a, one of the great defenses of all time. Of all time, yeah. yeah. And the Browns have the number one defense in pro football. Uh, yeah, they won the division, uh, and they actually lost in the NFC title game. That's crazy. Like I don't even know how that happened. That was a Buddy Ryan-led defense that was wow. ridiculous. That is crazy. So, yeah, Ditka, uh, 1984, and I, these quarterbacks, I don't even recognize them. You might. Um, Avellini. Uh, Joe Avellini? 
Yeah. Is it, is it B. Avellini? Oh, B. Avellini. G. Landry, uh, Jim McMahon, of course, uh, uh, Roy Lish, uh, or R. Lish, and S. Fuller. I have no idea. Like I said, it, it, it was going back. Trust me, it was it's hard. It's a who's who of uh, Chicago Bears quarterbacks. I have no idea who those people are. I'm not going to lie to you. Trust me. And I usually – Avellini. I have no idea who those people are. Anyway, uh, 1986, Ditka did it again. Ditka. All right, Mike Dick and the Chicago Bears, they did it again in 1986. Uh, this time, Doug Flutie, Jim McMahon, Mike Tomzak, remember that guy, and S. Fuller. Ohio so State. Yeah, so they had four of those. Man, did that defense. They, they, Bob they, Abilini. Uh, there you go. Uh, there you go. <laughs> See, thank you there, E. Uh, so, Ditka did it twice. Did, actually, take it back. Ditka did it three times. He did it in 1987, too. <laughs> Can't keep his quarterbacks healthy. Good <laughs> Lord. What was up with Ditka? They went, uh, sorry, 1986. They went strangling four, them. They went 14-2 in 1986, Chicago Bears did. Uh, and they, in that, uh, they lost in the divisional round. Uh, but they also, I believe, were first in the division. Dang, Ditka was a hell of a coach. They had a hell of a defense. It was the D. Uh, it was the D. 1987, Ditka did it again. Right? 11-4 that year. Well, let's also remember they had Walter Payton. Ah, there you go. Defense and, yeah, sweetness. That's pretty good. You're right about that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we mentioned about that. That's a good point. I'm glad he's bringing some historic, historical perspective here. So 11-4 in 1987, uh, and they lost in a divisional round too. But still, I believe they were first in the division. Damn. Embarrassed. That's crazy. Uh, okay, so then we're moving on from Dit- the Ditka years because that's just a phenomenal streak. That's a nice little – if you want a little uh, trivia question, that's a hell of a trivia question. What coach did it three times? No other coach did it three times. Um, the next group of coaches here, we got 1988, Marty Schottenheimer and the Cleveland Browns. The Browns did it twice. That is a great trivia question. What team did it multiple times? The Bears and the Browns. The Bears. Uh, the, 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 Bar- the Browns By the way, were. the two organizations probably have the worst quarterback history of any <laughs> that's in the a, NFL. That's a trend here, right? That's, <laughs> a, that's a trend developing. Uh, 1988, Marty Scheinheimer's group went 10-6. and six. They were second in the division. Uh, they lost in the wild card round to the Oilers, by the way, to Love You Blue. Um, uh, to, and, oh, so, yeah, and they lost to the Orioles. So uh, that, was the, that was 1988. Then in 2003, at least we get into the 2000s now, 2003, Mike Shanahan, hell of a coach. Uh, the Denver Broncos did it. They were 10-6. and six. Uh, here the, I, I forgot to give you the quarterbacks for uh, the Browns. The Browns in 1988, Bernie Kosar, mm-hmm. D. Strock. I have no idea who that is. Don Strock. Don Strock. G. Daniel. He played until like, he was like 45, Don oh, Strock. them dudes. <laughs> uh, and then M. Pagel. Mike Pagel, uh, yep. Okay, see, I'm glad he remembers all these people because I have no idea who these people are. Uh, so there you go. That's that group. That was uh, the Marty Schottenheimer group in 1988 for the Browns. For Mike Shanahan's group in 2003, they went 10 and six as a point. They second in the division. They lost in the wild card round. Uh, for that group in Denver, they had Danny Cannell, Jake Plummer, uh, Steve Berline. And Jay Jackson, I'm not sure who Jay Jackson is, actually. Um, but that's the Denver Broncos in 2003. They did it, making the playoffs with four or more starting quarterbacks. 2013, Mike McCarthy. How about that? Mike McCarthy did it. 8-7-1, uh, the Green Bay Packers, uh, they did it and lost in the wild card round. So there you go, Mike McCarthy. How about that? that's that's He's on that list of coaches with the Green Bay Packers. They did it. Uh, also uh, here... Bill O'Brien and the Houston Texans did it. Oh, yeah, I do remember that, too. Remember? Mm-hmm. They lost in the wild card round that year, but in 2015, uh, they did. Bill O'Brien's group did it. I will say this. That the that was uh, amazing. And that, hold on, real quick, that was uh, Brian Hoyer, Ryan Mallett, TJ Yates, and Brandon Wheaton, as oh, you remember. The always, uh, always memorable Ryan Mallett. 
That was, that was, those were great times as a Texans fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Green Bay Packers 2013, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Matt Flynn, Scott Tolzien, and Seneca Wallace. Seneca. Well, those quarterbacks. Wow. Crazy. Uh, and the last one, of course, your Cleveland Browns. Cleveland well, and Browns. I think much like the Bears of the mid-'80s, the Browns have a chance to win a playoff game or two. Because I'm with you. Because they're and boy, if they had Nick Chubb, and that was one of the worst injuries of this year. There's been a lot of them, from Aaron Rodgers on day one to you know the the Nick Chubb just brutal knee injury. Uh, but you know, kind of like kind of like Walter Payton in a great defense. If you have Nick Chubb in a great defense, you've got a chance. That's a great point. But now all of a sudden, Joe Flacco has uh, come on scene, and he's playing like a Pro Bowl quarterback. He's just not out there. You know, handing it off. He's playing really good football. Three hundred yard games. Four straight three hundred plus yard yeah. games. He's got a three seventy in there. So. And they've got Amari Cooper. They're not really built on the ground anymore. They're built on play action. Yes, they are. And Amari Cooper and David Njoku, the tight end. And, you know, Joe Flacco can still, with that big arm, push that ball down the field. Uh, and they, they'll like – right now they would set up against Jacksonville. In Jacksonville in the first weekend. And they can beat Jacksonville. Because right now Trevor Lawrence is hurt. He's dealing with a shoulder injury, yeah. AC joint. That's crazy. You said it. But, yeah, they would have, with their four-starting quarterback, they could beat Jacksonville. Yeah. And I believe you. And then they'd be a problem for whoever they would meet in the divisional you know, round. You know who doesn't want to see them, honestly? Chiefs. The Ravens. Or the Chiefs. Oh, yeah, well, because the there's so much knowledge. The, the, exactly. Within that division, that's the one team you don't want to see. Like, well, because they have a great them. D, and they see Lamar Jackson twice All a year. All the time. Yeah. Lamar Jackson's advantage, that's why he's, what, 20-1 and one versus the yeah. NFC, is when you don't see him. And then you, he shell shock chick because you never see speed like that at quarterback. Browns will have a plan for him. They got a great plan for him. Well, and right now, obviously, coming off of the weekend, Baltimore, you can't say enough about how good they are. I mean, to, to be 13-3, and three, but to have beaten the quality of opponents that they have by the numbers that they have. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, they beat Miami 56-19. to 19. By the way, Miami lost Bradley Chubb in that game to a season-ending knee injury. He's their best defensive player. Uh, they beat San Francisco by double digits. They beat Jacksonville by double digits, 23-7. to seven. That's a div- Those are three division champs, Rod. You're right. And they pummeled them. Yeah. They beat Detroit 38-6. to six. I mean, they don't just beat people. They pummel. They beat the Seattle Seahawks 37-3. to three. And, and, it, and, and I, could, <laughs> I could say, listen, and, and I could really see them peaking at the right time because, remember, they, this is a new offense. Yeah, they're so just they, – they're right early on, they were still trying to figure out the offense, the timing, the, you know, the, the continuity, the chemistry. Remember, they just got them receivers. Guys, this is a guy that was playing with tight ends and fullbacks for most of his NFL career. Now he's got Zay Flowers yeah, and Odell Beckham. Now they're spreading it out, so he's just getting chemistry with the wide receivers. Oh, man, it, they, they can be scary. Yeah, uh, be and, scary. and they have been. I mean, like again, to, to play the – But again. they don't want to see the Browns. Like That's straight to say they don't want to see the Browns. But I, I think – that's right. That's that's the one team you don't want to see if you're the Ravens. You don't, you ain't scared of nobody. You'd rather play the 49ers and play the Browns. Well, the Browns beat them on November 12th, exactly. 33-31. They know them. Yeah. They know them too well. Yeah. All right. Good stuff right there with Rod's rant. NFL is uh, now oh, as we get yeah. to a Wednesday. Start looking forward. We'll go back and uh, talk more. Cow, uh, Longhorns, of course, taking your thoughts. A ton of great messages coming in. We'll read those coming back. Appreciate it. 447-3776. Longhorn fans getting back from New Orleans and uh, sharing their thoughts on the game Monday night. We'll continue to take yours. Get some bullish or BS before the top of the hour. It uh, is a Wednesday edition, day three of the new year. Happy New Year's to all of you. It took them up with Ian Rod B. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, hook them up. 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. Good to be with you. We'll have some bullish or BS before the top of the hour. We're talking Texas and Washington and the game that it was. A lot of messages coming in, folks, as we say, getting back from New Orleans and making that uh, 10, 11-hour trip from the Big Easy back to Austin. 
it's amazing. It, it takes half the time to get there as it does to get back. That's just the way that goes. But uh, it says, guys, my feelings are certainly hurt over the loss to the Huskies, it's, but it's good to know that the Horns are so close to the Natty. Hook them. Uh, yeah, I mean, we said that. I mean, it's uh, it's so much better to be talking about the disappointment of Monday than the apathy of the previous 10 years. Yep. When you're not relevant, you're playing in Texas Bowls. If you're in a bowl. Um, it's a bowl you don't care about. Yeah. And excited you, about you, it. You said it right, right. You said it over the month, and I think a lot of fans believe this. They're ahead of schedule. This is year three. Winning the Big 12 championship. That was, was the goal. That was the goal, yeah. And they kind of played like it in the game on Monday. They, they, like they had they achieved did. their goal. That's exactly right. And, oh, and human nature point. is, yeah, we want to get ourselves fired up. You relax you know. a little bit. You relax a little bit. And, it's, and honestly, they, had not, they, had, they hadn't they had been in this, this situation before. Had achieved, they hadn't achieved this much. And I do think them being celebrated for like a you know two, three weeks in between Big 12 title and this game – I think it may psychologically it had a negative effect on them. Washington, on the other hand, played like a team with a chip on their shoulder. They were on the road, underdog, right? They had a lot of motivation for them. And I think for Texas, they did not play like they had that chip on their shoulder. Yeah. And they dang near won the game. Uh, and as yeah. this text says accurately, <coughs> excuse me, <laughs> said the Horns needed 10 miracles in the last two minutes to win the game. They only got nine. Yeah, that's true. You're damn right. It came close. Well, and in the end yeah. of the day, if Quinn Ewers had thrown to the pylon and thrown instead of a fade pass, a kind of a high ball to – because like, he's used to throwing that high ball to Adonai Mitchell, right? Or Adonai Mitchell. Uh, but if he had thrown that, that, that bullet uh, and just let it go right to the pylon. The paint ball there right to the back yeah, of the Yeah, uh, might have been a touchdown. And yeah. Texas – because he, he was open. I Dan Olowski said it too. They were playing inside leverage. They were playing off. So that's the ball they were giving you. Yeah. They were giving you that. And, you know, why would they give you that, E? Because you hadn't thrown it all year. Yeah. It's called, it's called scouting. It's called coaching. Why? Give them the one pass they, they don't throw. They just, when's the last time Texas threw a back shoulder fake? Yeah, and that's the further development of Quinn Ewers. That's where he can yeah. say, oh, that's not there. Let's go to this. Yeah. And that's going to be that next level progression. And that's what we see from Michael Penix. Michael Penix is in year six. And we got a text from a guy that says, man, as a Buckeye fan, I hated seeing Penix when he was in Indiana. This guy Penix is good. Uh, the injuries of what have derailed his career. Yep. Um, but he's back and healthy from those, and he is a great story. I mean, we'll, we'll, you know, being, having him to have center stage against Michigan, what a matchup that's going to be on Monday night. We've got several days to talk about it, but uh, big time right there. Um, all right, guys, says, I was at the game Saturday night. 70 came up to the ref and reported and announcer stated 70 is eligible. I don't know what the convo was with the ref and the old lineman before 70 reported, regardless of there was another flag for illegal formation, too. Yeah, I heard that. They did have a – it was illegal formation, too. So, I mean it, – it, It's I, almost I, like the, the Lions out-tricked themselves. Yeah, they I were, mean, yes. That's a great point. Too much deception. Cause they went up, but they, they sent three offensive linemen up to, to, the, to the official, and it's like, well, why are you sending all these, up, these linemen over here? And I think it confused the official and it confused – it was so good, they confused themselves, too, a little bit. Well, and that's one of those I – mean, we, you can't review that play and you can't scrum it as an officiating crew. They should be able to, though. That's, how, that's a critical play in the, in the NFL season, play. not just in that game. Yeah. Because where it stands as far as seeding in the playoffs and where it goes. Um, but when bullish or BS, I'll play Dan Campbell um, oh, not backing down from his decision to continue to go for two-point conversions, and the Cowboys are happy they were because the Cowboys nearly let that game get away. Remember, they had another fumble at the goal line with C.D. Lamb. They – they had the lead, and then they gave, almost gave it back up. I mean, this. And at the end of the day, the Cowboys went two and two in that gauntlet we talked about. They they beat Philadelphia. Yeah. They lost in Buffalo. They lost in Miami, and then they beat Detroit. They won the home games, but but the difference with the Cowboys now because of that call 
is they're going to have a home. I mean, they're going to be the division champs. Had they lost that game, the Eagles would still be able to win the division and put Dallas down at the five seed, which puts you on the road in the playoffs. Cowboys now have a really good look if they can beat Washington Sunday on being at home in the playoffs, which no one beats them at home. Yeah. I think it was 16 in a row in yeah, that building. Some, it's unbelievable. They're a different team. They, <laughs> they're an entirely different team at home in the road. They got a, and they got a, about a week or two to fix that because they'll be going on the road um, after that first playoff game. Texas, 12 hours to get home to Austin yesterday, an hour to get through Baton Rouge alone. Great weekend, though. Love the Horns. No, I mean, again, it's almost like a, a storm evacuation. I mean, when you think that number of people who are well, yeah. driving back to Texas from wherever they're going in Texas, you got to go out through Baton Rouge, and you just mm-hmm. do. And it's, uh, and it's only one way out. Only one way out. Yeah, and that's they imagine when there is an actual emergency happening. Well, there was a there was about a 40-minute <laughs> bottleneck. Felt, felt like a 40-minute delay getting out of New Orleans. That's what I'm saying. Right yeah. out by the airport. Because uh, when it goes from three lanes to two lanes, yep, and everybody's trying to <laughs> get terrible. out, and, yeah. ev- and everyone checks out between ten and eleven or twelve, and so all those cars hit the road at the same time. It's brutal. It is. I, yeah, it's, it's. I felt bad for myself until I was about forty-five minutes outside of Austin, and uh, one of my friends texted me that she hurt um, their car had broken down in Baton Rouge. <sighs> and wow. was not going to be able to get fixed till today, so they had to stay in Baton Rouge last night. And I was like, ah, you know, that was a crappy ride, but uh, at least I'm not stuck in Baton Rouge still. Yes, yeah, <laughs> at least. Well, and, the, and again, I, you know, we left with the idea, okay, we'll get to Houston before rush hour, but of course the delays in Baton Rouge mm. and in yeah. Lafayette and in Lake Charles uh, because it bottles up every time when you get to one of the towns as it goes down to two lanes again. But uh, uh, that puts you into rush hour in Houston at 530. Yeah. And you that's guys, always fun. I just think you guys were – and listen, that was a terrible drive, but if the Longhorns had won, I think it would have been a better drive, even if all those other things had happened and oh, storms yeah, yeah. and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the, the optimism you guys drew drove to New Orleans with and the disappointment you drove back with. I wasn't that disappointed, of, though. I, I, I feel yeah, like I, I grew my, my emotional, I, my emotional I, intelligence grew a lot this weekend. No, no, no. I think the disappointment was, I think, for because you guys are processed it now, so it's a little bit different. Um, I think the disappointment was that Lohan fans had initially accepted the loss early on by the start of the fourth quarter like I did and then reinvested themselves after the Longhorns found a way to get back in the game, which we still – I love the way the texture put it. They needed ten miracles and they got nine. And you were like, what the hell? And even you admitted, Ty, you had to run back to the television to find the TV. No, you, he was at the game. He was at the game but had to go find the TV yeah. after leaving early because most people, we had decided, all right, you know what, great season. Proud of these guys. My, uh, Washington's a better team. Michael Penix is a hell of a player. And pretty much started to emotionally move on. And it started almost a grieving process. And then you, after reinvesting in the team, you almost hit, felt the disappointment again because then you were upset that they didn't actually pull it off and pull it out because they should have, actually. They had a really good chance of basically making it one of the greatest stories in college football history and then to pull it out that win playing – you know what, a, a C game, a C minus, C plus game. Yeah, against a team much. that uh, played a kind of A-level game up until that point. Yeah. And somehow you had 50 seconds and they make a penalty on the punt return interference and you're like, holy cow. Oh, we got this. Jay, Jay Witt rips off a 41-yard catch. Jaden Blue makes a hell of a catch. And now, as you said, history uh, on the precipice. And if Quinn Ewers had made a better read and made a better throw, oh. you know, on fourth down – they win the ball game, and, and your uh, drive back would—you'd be ecstatic you, through that 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 twelve-hour drive. Well, I, will say I don't know. I probably would have been really hungover on that drive back at that point. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, still personally, with the bus, still buzzing though. Personally, me because you know, right? I was doing the end game watch, and I went to bed after that. So, but I so the the the, the hangover wasn't a problem. My ass hurt. At the end of the day, by the time I got to Austin, my ass was hurting. That's a problem. 
You had ass cramps. Oh, on my back. <laughs> well, because, you know, there's one thing driving long yeah. distances, but you can, like, put on a podcast or listen to music. When you're sitting in traffic and you're stopping all the time, That's I mean, we, we probably hit six times where you had to, like, dead stop for no. – you know, it's just it it's bog- bad for your mental health. Yes. to be in traffic that long. Oh. It is. I agree with that, man. And by the way, my Waze app. Um, thanks to the Waze app. When I got to Baton Rouge, it set me out and around. Like I, it, oh, yeah, I, I got out by the Baton Rouge Country Club. Back, I got to see the burbs of Baton Rouge. <laughs> no, it was actually really nice. I got to go really? through the rich area of Baton Rouge. Oh, nice. Oh yeah, and it it, it, it kind of took me around, and I came back right where the bridge is, where you have to go up over uh, the Mississippi River. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a long one because uh, it's not just it's one thing to drive ten hours, but if you're just relaxed driving uh, between the stoppages and then the rain, because then you get to Lagrange and it's like not just raining, it's like pouring rain. Yeah. And- like lightning like strikes to your car. It's like, oh man, this is fun, <laughs> uh, and that's the, that's the very end of it. So your ass hurts, your back's cramping up, your legs hurt. You're like, oh god, didn't get disappointed, me out of this car. heartbroken. And all of a sudden, you got to slow down to sixty miles an hour or fifty miles an hour because it's pouring down rain. But uh, that uh, all of us who had to do it dealt with it, and uh, glad to be back. Glad to be talking football. Good problem and, to have. And talk about a Longhorn program that is growing. And needs to continue to grow. Uh, Xavier Worthy, we'll talk about this coming up, has declared. Uh, you, you were asking the question where he ranks as an all-time receiver at Texas. I think the general consensus between you and me was certainly top five, argument for top three. We'll take your thoughts on that. Uh, that will lead us into bullish or BS. Uh, coming back, some topics we're bullish about, including Dan Campbell. Should he have continued going for two on Saturday night with the Cowboys? I'll let him defend himself. And then okay. you can say bullish or BS as a – Proud one-time member of the Detroit Lions. Yeah, right? exactly. One-time <laughs> member of the Detroit Lions. We'll have that coming back. Hook them up with Ian Rodby. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers. Hook them up. 1019 AM 1260. The Horn. Bullish BS time. That is... Uh, a fun Wednesday, but disappointing, but still encouraging, I guess, would be the way to go as you uh, get further past that game on Monday night. Longhorns lose, but uh, kind of lost it twice. Yes, yeah, kind of like resigned that. yourself in the third quarter when the uh, the nine point lead was you know there with, with and then the onside kick didn't go your way. Um, you kind of okay, that, that's but it. Down to thirteen. Good season, good yeah, season. You're like, good season, yeah. Then exactly. the next thing you know, you're at the twelve yard line and with fifteen seconds left, you're and thinking then you're yelling Holy. about play calling. <laughs> you're like, Yo, what are you doing? Don't throw that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what was that's that Jaden Blue little? I mean, that had worked early in the game, I know, but with. Are you talking about the second down play or the third down play? The, not I mean, the Jaden Blue catch, but the Jaden Blue little pitch yeah, out that they've been the, the quick pitch, pitch that they've been yeah. running all game. I think he's yeah. Nah. Now the. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, at least he got out of bounds because if he didn't get out of bounds there, they, they well, that was the, the first was down over. play, right? That was first down, and that was a throw. Yeah, it was a throw. And I think he said it was it was intended for somebody else, but they were covered up. Well, well, after the game, Sark said the the the, the design play was to go to J T. Sanders. Okay, uh, on a high point ball, and he was and he was double covered. What so, they do so, in the red zone? So, teams that's right. So Quinn did the right thing and checked down because you, you can't take a sack there. No, uh, you and can't turnovers, and yeah, you and you can't get tackled in bounds. No. So he turned, saw Jaden Blue, and said, okay, Jaden can catch this, get out of bounds. And he did it quickly. That's why I didn't develop. He was like, here, just take it. Which I thought was a good, was smart play. Yeah. Uh, doing the in-game watch, that was my commentary. I was like, okay, that's a good play. I mean, it's not the perfect play, but it gives you – because if you get tackled in bounds there – And you don't waste time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Time's your problem yeah. uh, with no timeout. So you can't get tackled in bounds. Everything's got to go to the end zone. Uh, so you're, you're – and this is the, where the play calling comes in. You're caught between a spot where you, everything has to go to the end zone, which Washington knows mm-hmm. – because uh, uh, you can't even really take the risk. We've seen teams do this, where you throw a you know a 
crossing route at the five and you trust your receiver will get in, he yeah. gets tackled and the game ends. Yep. Uh, that's going to be criticized too. So your point is, you, you and your quarterback can't take a sack. So Washington on th- third and fourth down brought pressure. They knew. Uh, they brought heat, yeah. and they backed everybody into the end zone. Force you to get rid of the football before you can throw it in the end zone. And you're dealing with right now still a one read quarterback. I mean, this is what Quinn Ewers is right now, and that's why he's coming back for another season. Uh, so yeah, that you got to put it all together. He can't get tackled inbounds. You, you got to go to the end zone. Is he officially so, coming back? Uh, I think so. I think. so. I think the scouts are telling him and his people are telling Somebody him. asked him in the press conference. We played it yesterday, Rod. And I didn't hear this until we played it yesterday morning, the whole thing. And somebody asked him about how, how do you continue to build on this culture, and Quinn had an answer for him. Said, we've got to get back and start devoting, you know, getting out into the – so he was pretty clear that I'm, I'm, I'm playing – I'm part of this thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm part of what's going on. Well, because Sark had just talked about how, you know, he's proud of the team and it was a 12-year pro- – 12-month process that it starts in winter workouts. That's when you ingrain the character and the toughness, and it leads into spring practice, which leads into the summer workouts, and uh, that all leads to this. And Quinn was then asked about how do you keep that culture with all the guys that are moving on. He said, no, no, i got to be – I got to be in the front of this thing. Yeah, I'm going to be. Actually, I will be the catalyst. Which, the which that's not him announcing he's coming back, but it's pretty clear that he plans to be back. I think he's coming uh, back. at that point. Especially if he had lit it up in this game, <laughs> uh, and they lost, they say he he went, you know, basically pass for pass with Michael Penix and outdoed them. Penix with 450, and he was at 400 and some yards too. Then I'd be thinking, hey man, he might leave. He Did might he end say, up having hey, 400 yards? Yeah, he had three hundred and. But it didn't look good. Yeah, no, yeah. it didn't look good. He didn't out. He did not out. He had like a hundred yards at halftime. Yeah, so I'm saying like it, it didn't look that it didn't look that way. Like Michael Penix increased his draft stock. Like now everybody's like he's clearly the third best quarterback. Well, that's what we draft, said. I mean, and it may even crack the top three potentially. Yeah, some people are going to really like him. Yeah. Well, and and you know again the third quarter, or fourth quarter when Texas fell down 13, everything was passed. So the pass yards got it's inflated. inflated in the fourth quarter. Two minute drill. I said this earlier. The Longhorns ended up running 70 plays to Washington 71, but Washington had 36 minutes of time of possession. Texas had 24. It's unbelievable. Or under twenty four. So, but the plays were the same. That's but there was the two minute drill before the half. There was the you know the entire fourth quarter was essentially a two minute drill. They didn't touch the ball <laughs> in the third quarter at, at all. Plays. Yeah, it was such a weird game. But that uh, was a weird game. That third. You're right. That third quarter. That was it. I mean, I think Sark miscalculated in the second quarter, and then nobody could have anticipated a third quarter where you don't see the football but five times, and that pretty much. Was, that yeah, was the game because Washington went and scored on the first their first possession with a really smart drive out of the half, uh, and then that's why it was so big to get the touchdown for Texas before the half, which you know new, oh, equaled the game at twenty one. Yeah, you get in a blowout situation. That's right. Man. They were going. They were trying to they do the ratio. two for one. Yeah, and so they go up twenty eight twenty one, and then C J Baxter fumbles the first play, and so then they go score a field goal and control the ball a little bit after that, yeah. and then you know then you get your four other plays and punt, then they go kick another field goal. Um, you know, then Jane Blue fumbles, uh, and it was frustrating for sure. That's the, the word I kept using yesterday from New Orleans. It's just a frustrating game all the way to the very end, all the way to the very end, that yeah. it just felt like you were you know, climbing the hills, kind of driving back from New Orleans yesterday. It was frustrating. Like everywhere yeah. you go, you're bogging so, down. Yeah, so it's time to think about it. One of the things that I noticed in, in, the, in the Sugar Bowl, in, in the stadium, uh, was that a lot of people were complaining about the, or the refs. I was too. Was that something that you all noticed on TV, or was that just uh, – I mean, Okay, well, I'll say this, that the defensive chop block that they called was oh. a bad call. That was a terrible and a lot of the spots bad call. early in the game. Now, too. look, I'll say this. It is a rule that you can't go low on a player without the ball. You can't come out of the blue with a chop – like a cutback yeah. chop block yeah. against anybody. Uh, only player with the ball. 
Um, but he didn't hit him in the legs. He hit him in the stomach. Mm-hmm. And it was really just Ryan Watts trying to protect himself. He was you, just trying to <laughs> huge man coming yeah, at him. He was just like trying to get into a defensive position <laughs> yeah. so he didn't get pancakes. And the official who called that was behind the play. And so he didn't. if he had been the other side, I don't think he'd have called it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what he saw was the big man and, and Ryan Watts kind of crumpled down and he tripped over him. That, you know, so, yeah, I, I thought that was a bad call upon instant replay. I don't remember any other really big I mean, bogus pre, calls. Uh, pre-snap penalties are pre-snap penalties. I mean, <laughs> right? False starts are false starts. Uh, and Texas had a bunch of those. Uh, the P.I. was obviously a P.I. I mean, Terrence Brooks was beat. They called the Jordan down. Whitting. Remember when Jordan Whittington blocked two guys on the screen pass and they called him for the second where he got a hold? Yeah. Yeah, and that was, a, that was an explosive play. That was yeah, a big play. Yeah. and. It looked like a hold. It looked like a hold to me. It looked like Christian Jones got hold, called for reaching out and grabbing. I mean, they looked like a hold. You can weigh in on that. Bullish or BS on the officiating we, in the we game. We know I didn't that notice. didn't determine the game, though, guys. Like that had <laughs> between Michael Penix lighting up the Texas secondary, uh, between Texas being in third and long, fifty-four uh, percent of their third downs. Right between Texas not being able to get the passing game started earlier, Sark's miscalculation about the running game. Yeah, the officials is like that's like eighth on the list. Yeah, uh, agreed. agreed. <laughs> you, and you were your own worst enemy. You, you were even, even Sark admitted, man. We we played anxious to start the game. You had two penalties on the first. You had a penalty offensively on the first drive, and you had a defensive penalty on your first defensive drive. Yeah, it was a not disciplined game. <laughs> uh, not a disciplined game. Hey, and it was it was problematic. Can I play this for you? And then you bullish your BS on Dan Campbell. Let me play this for you. This is Dan Campbell, the Detroit Lions coach, being questioned, of course, for going for two three times. <laughs> Instead of just kicking an extra point and maybe getting going to overtime with the Cowboys, oh, man. and uh, play this piece of audio there, uh, there, Ty. Yeah, I th- like when, when you got the penalty and move it to. Go the- ahead and say it. Say it, both of you. What? Say it. Say what you want to say. I think from the seven, it's a low percentage play. I think your chances of winning are lower than if you kick the extra point. I would have. I would like you would say it to anybody else. Yeah. I'm on the radio. Say it like you want to say it. Yeah. I thought it was a reckless decision. Thank you. you, Okay, but you don't regret it? No. Okay. There it is, Dan Campbell on the radio. Uh, Wow. I love how he did that because, you know, the guys are kind of dancing around the question. He said, no, no, no. Say it. Just ask me. Yeah. No, I I respect that about Dan Campbell because Dan Campbell knows that's the the stigma and reputation about him is that he's a madman. He's just a madman out there, and there's no – calculation to his decision right he's just out there uh, with he's going predetermined going with his gut and i'm a i'm a i'm a ball coach and that's not really that at all i mean i think these are these are very calculated decisions that he's making well he went on to say in that interview look it's a fair point guys i get it yeah but i made the call i'm the coach and if we had won yeah, you can criticize him. if we won y'all be calling me a genius right now and yeah. talking about how great uh, my mentality and philosophy is that is that's the life of a coach yeah, but the call went against him on the first down hey ty can you play that other one real quick do you have time it's great. listen to this this is uh, we talk about a madman. Here's Dan Campbell. Um, uh, actually, we'll play it on the other side. We'll play it on the quick other side. It's pretty good. He is a madman, but because he the, said, "I'm ready. The, I have controlled fury." Yes, he is a madman, but in the best way. In the best way, guys. In the best way. Oh, love him. Lions are 11 and five. Cowboys are 11 and five. But a win on Sunday, they'll be the division champs. Texans play sat- Saturday night in really the AFC's first playoff game. The Texans beat the Colts. Gotta they'll be it, in. Baby. Colts beat the Texans. They'll be in. Love it. All right, we'll pick that up. It is a, uh, a Wednesday. Still recapping what went on on Monday. Starting to look forward to what's coming up this weekend. It's a fun one. Let's hook them up. E, Rod B, 1019, AM 1260. Stream it on the Horn app and always at hornfm.com.